Hey y'all, welcome to the 11th Hour God Podcast, where we share testimony of how God is working in people's lives. We call this podcast the 11th Hour God, not because he shows up in the 11th hour, it's because we tend to see him in our 11th hour when we've finally given it all to him and are at our breaking point. I'm Jake. And I'm Kenny. Thank you for joining us today. Hey guys, welcome back. Um... So today, Jake and I want to share our testimony of our fostering journey. I need to be super honest. It's when we decided to share this testimony, it really weighed heavy on me because that journey was such a roller roller coaster ride and it brought up so many emotions and I definitely was not looking forward to rehashing them. Yeah, rehashing them and just going through everything again. You know, there was so many good times during that journey. There were so many hard times. Honestly, I have regrets. I wish we would have handled things differently. It's it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and honestly, if we didn't have God, we wouldn't have made it through. We wouldn't have gotten through it. We wouldn't have been able to do the things that we did. How do you feel, babe, like about kind of going through all that again? I'm excited and nervous all at the same time. I think the testimony of seeing God through our journey is amazing. But at the same time, having to relive the emotions of gaining and losing children so much is going to be hard. Yeah, I think we really wanted to put this out there because we want people to see that like God calls us to do this and we just have to be obedient even if we don't always do it correctly yeah um but we have so many people that come up to us all the time saying oh my gosh you guys are angels I could never foster you know and all this stuff we are far far from being angels we just were obedient um I wish we had prayed more during the process I wish we had more grace during the process like looking back on it you know we thought we were doing the right thing at certain times but when we look back on it we're like man I should have had more grace in that situation for the social worker for the child for the child's parents um I mean and and you'll see when we talk about it but um we do wish we did things differently, but we know that the Lord called us to do this, just like um, he's called probably many of you to do this. And a lot of you probably said, I, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know how I could deal with kids that have gone through this trauma. I don't know how I could say goodbye to a kid that I've completely fallen in love with. Um, and you'll see that we've dealt with all of that. And it was not easy at all. Yep. And I think it goes beyond even fostering. I think no matter what God calls you to do, whether it's to uproot your family and move or join the missions field, I think it can be so hard and so scary in that moment to jump in full bore. But man, the blessings and beauty that can come out of it. And honestly, that's where we came up with the 11th Hour God title was in our fostering journey and how often we would see God answer prayer or reveal himself, but it was always at our 11th hour. And I think that's what helped get us through is just when we feel like we were going to fail, we were able to pull through. 
And the thing to remember too is that just because you're being obedient to what the Lord tells you to do, it doesn't mean, obviously it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're going to handle things correctly. (laughs) Or like it. Or that you're going to like it. Yeah. There's going to be trials that come with it as well, but there's going to be such huge blessings that come out of it. Yep. Um, With all that being said, we we're going to just, you know, jump into it how we started and and go from there and since this was something that the lord put on your heart love why don't you kind of share how this all started how we got into it yeah i think it was back in 2018 we had been married for just over a year and we owned a home that was three bedroom but it was just us so the two spare rooms stayed empty Um, And I just felt like God put it on my heart that we needed to fill those rooms with somebody. Um, I didn't have much more than that. And at that time, we had some friends and family that had possibly needed a place to stay. So we offered it up to them, but they had all turned us down. Well, it was crazy too, because like we had never had opportunities where we needed to open our house to somebody. And once the Lord told you to do that, like a few things had come up and we're like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, this must be it. Like, this is what the Lord's telling us to do. This is who he's telling us to open our home to. Yeah, exactly. Nobody had taken us up on our offer, but we knew we just needed to keep an open heart and keep searching for who God was looking for to put in those rooms. So I remember coming back from Hilo, which was over an hour away from our house in Hawaii. And I was listening to a podcast, um, the Dad Tired podcast, and the episode just happened to be on fostering and adoption. Um, Not that I specifically listened to it, it was just the next one in line. And I remember about halfway through, I just had this revelation, like God putting that last puzzle piece together, telling me that this was who we needed to open our home to. And before that, though, we had talked about, you know, like the first um, lunch that we had together, we both talked about that our hearts were open to adopting and fostering, but neither of us have ever really looked into it or know what it entailed or anything like that. So this wasn't even at this point, like on our minds. Yeah, I think we had always been open to it, but it was nothing that we were actively pursuing. Um, But after that episode, like God just wrecked my heart. And so I had called Kenny and told her right away, like, God spoke to me and I know who we're supposed to fill those rooms with. It's foster children. And I was like, oh, all right, let me look into it. (laughs) So we hung up the phone um, and then I Googled, like, how do you foster? (laughs) (laughs) And there was this number that popped up, you know, it said kind of basically start here. We called them and like super long story short, we got the process started. We, um, that day, that day we got the process started. We went through classes soon after that, got all the paperwork done. I mean, it was, it probably took a couple months, but we were just on top of everything. Like, this is what God's calling us to do. Let's get it done. Yeah. And I think that it was supposed to have happened that way because if, we had a second to think and really look into what fostering entailed and what pe- what people who have fostered have gone through and hardships and things like that. I think we would have been like, oh, maybe, maybe we misheard. Maybe God's not calling us to do this. But because we just kind of jumped in head first, um, it was kind of a different story. Yeah, God just kind of opened those doors. Um, the lady helping us get through this had said that she hadn't seen it go this quick between the training, the home visits, all of the paperwork. I think we had it done within just a couple of months. Yeah. 
you know, we haven't really told our story up until this point, but we have been going through infertility. Um, and we got married in 2017 and have been trying since then and haven't been able to have a child. So we were like, well, we don't have children. Let's help these children and maybe something could even come out of it. And when we went to our, I think it was our first training, we stepped into the room and my cousin and his wife were there and we were like, Hey, what are you guys doing here? And it turned out that, um, a mother had left her child at the hospital and my cousin who worked at the hospital, um, kind of took guardianship of that child and they were going through the fostering classes so that they could foster her and hopefully adopt. And I remember like being so excited for her, but at the same time being like, wow, I wish something like that would happen for us. You know, like this child was just born and my cousin and his wife are going to be able to have her from birth, you know, that's this child, all they're going to know is my cousin and, and his wife as their mother and father. And that's something that we want so much, you know, so like we were happy for them, but we were also a little envious of that situation. But anyways, we went through all the classes, everything like that. And, um, we got licensed. Yeah. I think the first testimony after that was that we heard that there was so much need on the island for foster homes. Um, and at that point we were the only one licensed in our town. I think we finished and got licensed in late August, but we had never gotten a call. And then that following October, my grandfather passed away. Um, so we had to head back to San Diego to help with funeral and getting things sorted out. And while we were in San Diego, we got the first call. And I think it was kind of a sign of God that he knew that that was going to happen and that we wouldn't have been able to be so available for my family if we would have had foster children in our care. So I think that was kind of the first time we saw God in fostering beyond getting licensed. Yeah, because we waited for such a long time after getting licensed to get children. Yeah, And while we were in it, it was like children needed to be placed in a home like (laughs) every few days, you know? So it was crazy that we did have that time, but that was totally God just preparing us for what happened to your grandfather. Right. So we had gotten home and we had gotten the call, um, the, for our first sibling set. And we were all bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to tackle the world. We hadn't been through anything yet. And we really felt like we were going to save these children's lives and give them a chance and a shot at life. And so we get these these two kids. And of course, they're scared. So we try to welcome them in and let them know everything's going to be okay. Um And we just kind of go day to day, like we get them registered in school and all this stuff. And we treat them like we would treat our own kids, you know? Right. For those that haven't been in the fostering world, a lot of these kids are pulled right from school. They went to school thinking that they were going to class and didn't realize that the police would be picking them up from school. And they didn't get a chance to go home and say goodbye or pack clothes. They came with what they had on their back right from school. It was just straight from school to the CWS office and then right to us. Yeah. And so we, when we registered them at school, we got to speak with their teacher. Um, and we're not going to, this isn't our story to tell as far as the kids' stories are. So we're not going to go um, into detail about every kid. But just high level, um, there was some abuse in this situation. So they, they needed to get out of the home 
when we spoke to the teacher, she kind of gave us a little bit of a rundown that um, one of the children would come to school dirty and just couldn't tired, fo- tired couldn't focus, none of that. So you know that there was some stuff going on at home. Um, so we kind of had a little bit background, but not a ton. And we later learned that the kids wouldn't be able to go back home until the accused was out of the home. Correct. Um, and also that their parent would have to go through six months of parenting classes. So, you know, this is what we were told. So we're like, okay, we're going to have them for a little bit. We're just going to have to get comfortable. This is going to be the new life for at least six months. Um, and I think it was like, maybe we had them for, um, a month maybe. Yeah. Um, and we were like, we were told, okay, the accused is out of the home. Um, the kids are just going to go back. And we're like, well, what happened to the six months of parenting classes? And they were like, yeah, it's fine. We don't have to do that. You know, everything's safe now. They're good. And so we're like, wow, we're kind of blown away by it. Like, how do, how do we defend them? How do we um, fight this? But then we're like, I mean, if everything's safe, it's all good. It is what it is. Okay. They're just going to go home, you know? So, um, they went home. Don't you feel like that was our first taste of the legal side of fostering? Yeah, it was our first taste of like, okay, so maybe the things that we are told isn't going to always hold true. And at that point, it was like, all right, it is what it is. But we later came to find out, because we kept in touch with the teacher, we later came to find out that the girl was back in school dirty and tired and hungry and all this stuff. And we're like, gosh, what the heck happened? And then also later came to find out that the parent like went to court and basically begged the judge to let the accuser come back into their home. And that's when we were like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Like no one's looking out for these kids. And um, I think that was the turning point of when, I know for me, I can't speak for you, of when my heart kind of hardened towards the system and towards the parents. Yeah, I think the same for me, that it really showed the ugly side of the system and just how unfair we thought it seemed. And that kind of put us on a track of, I'm going to fight for these kids no matter what. We didn't fight for these kids and they've gone back to where they were before they were taken. And we need to fight for them. Nobody's fighting for them. The state's not fighting for them. The parents aren't fighting for them. No one is. We have to. Right. And anybody that knows Kenny knows that she doesn't back down from a fight. <laughs> All five foot two of her. <laughs> that was the first taste of how we felt the legal system failed them. And as tough as it is to relive now, it's just a small amount of what we would come to go through. Um, for those that don't know the foster system, there's so many folks involved. They have social workers and judges and teachers and therapists and lawyers and so many folks that have a say in this child's life. Um, yet when it comes to it, the foster parents who spend the most time with these children tend to have the least amount of say. Yeah. So anyways, after they went home, um, we, so we dealt with this one woman and she was the one that um, helped license us and were, was the one that would call us whenever there was a placement. And we 
Jake and I just adored her. Absolutely adored her. We honestly felt like she was our biggest advocate. Our biggest advocate, the kids' biggest advocate. She was just so genuine and we could I could call and just be like this is what we're going through. What do we do? I don't understand what's happening. And she always was just such a light. And we just really, really, really appreciated her. Um, honestly, if it wasn't for her, we probably would have given up fostering a long time before we ended up moving. Maybe we wouldn't have. I can't say that for sure. But she she def- definitely helped us through it. And I think God placed her there for a reason. Absolutely. He knew we needed that help from the inside. Yeah. So after those kids left, um, and this woman, what should we call her? Jane. We'll call her Jane. <laughs> Jane. So Jane, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Um, so Jane um, also knew our story, you know, and knew that we haven't been able to have kids and that we would like to adopt at some point. When we got the next call, it was a newborn baby boy. And when she called us, um, I don't remember the exact situation, but she basically said like, this one actually could potentially go into adoption. And we were like, wait, what? This is happening already? We might be able to have our own little boy? Well, Baby didn't have any family who had qualified. Um, They always try to place kids with family first. The goal is always to find family that these kids recognize and are comfortable with. Um, But they also need to pass a background check, have clean home, steady income, have a safe home. And Baby didn't have that. Um, There was a grandmother who was too old and didn't really want to care for a newborn Um, So it seemed like this was a for sure into adoption type of situation. Yeah. So as she shared with us that information, you know, we were so hopeful. We're like, oh my gosh, like maybe this is it. This is the little kid that we've been praying for. Yeah. We got him November 25th. Yes, it was November 25th. And I remember getting him and we went to like Walmart or Target and stuff and got a bunch of baby stuff. And we had somebody that gave us some hand-me-downs. I mean, so we didn't have anything. We never had a baby. It was just like this baby was just thrown into our lives, you know? Um, and he had um, drugs in his system. So he was a drug baby. So, you know, we were told it might not be easy. He might be going through withdrawal. So we didn't really know what to expect at this point. But um, I just remember us being in the living room and we had him all dressed up super cute. And we just, we fell in love with this kid. And he was, he was a goofy little newborn, you know, (laughs) but we, we fell in love with him. And two days later was my birthday. Yep. Um, And, oh, this was my... 35th birthday. Yep. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I just, I just remembered this. I remember that like I had been praying so hard, Lord, give me a child before I turn 35. I remember that was like one of my biggest prayers. And literally two days before my birthday, this little boy came into our lives. And I remember just like bawling my eyes on and being like, thank you, Lord. Oh my gosh. You answered this prayer for us, this is so yeah. amazing. I know this is from you. This this has to be it. This has to be our little boy. So it was my birthday and we went to uh, actually Brandy and Kaina's house. Um, and we were there because uh, Brandy and I, our birthdays are close together. I remember just being so in love with this little boy and so excited to show him to our best friends that this is going to be our little boy, you know. And... I remember getting a call and it was Jane (laughs) and she was just like, 
Hey, Kenny. So this little boy's grandma actually stepped up and she's going to be taking him. So we're going to have to take him back from you. And I remember thinking, what? Well, and I think too, she wanted to pick him up that day, correct? Yeah. Cause I asked her, I was like, today's my birthday. <laughs> like, I mean, do you think we could just spend the rest of the day with him and then we can give him back tomorrow? And she was like, yes, absolutely. That's fine. But I felt so broken. And I know we only had him for two days, but in our head, he was ours. He was going to be ours forever, you know? So I just, I felt so broken and like, Lord, why? I mean, I mean, obviously like being my birthday isn't, isn't a big deal, but it's still, you think that, you know, like, why is this happening on a day where I'm celebrating, um, being a year older and, you know, Lord, you answered my prayer to have this little boy. Why are you taking him away from me? I don't understand it. Looking back, it was such a selfish way of thinking because of course he should be with his family. Of course he should be with his grandmother. Well, a part of it was such just the desires of our hearts, right? Or specifically your heart. And you felt like God had answered it and that was it. Like you felt that promise was being taken back from you. Even though that looking back on it, the Lord never promised me that, you know, but to me at that moment, like I felt like he had. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect example of how we think or feel a prayer should be answered. We think it's going to be a certain way, but nine times out of 10, it's completely different than the way we saw it or thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. I had I had our life planned in my head, <laughs> you from know, day one. from day from the moment I got that call, I had yeah. our life with our little boy planned in our head. Do you think it was that call from Jane that hardened your heart even more from what social workers would say in the future? I think it hardened both of ours. Oh, hundred percent, mine. Yeah, yeah, because again, we were told something, and this was completely out of Jane's control. Like we, not for a second, you know, blamed her for this. No, 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 But we were told something and she truly believed it. Like I believe that she was so excited to give us this news because she knew that this is what we wanted too, you know? It was our second time fostering. um, And again, we were told one thing and something completely different happened. So we're very quickly learning that you cannot depend on anything that's told to you. So long story short, we end up um, going out to celebrate my birthday and our last night with him. Um, And he goes back the next day. And I just feel completely broken. Like my child was just ripped out of my hands. Right. Um, So after that, I think maybe it was a couple weeks later, um, we get another call from Jane and there's another placement. <laughs> I think Jane had us on speed dial. She did. <laughs> You'll come to hear that. Um, and she was like, hey, I know that y'all said you didn't want any teenagers, but here's the situation. There's this one teenager that's been going through a really hard time in and out of foster homes. Um, she goes to school in Waimea, which is where we lived. And at this point, I don't think there was any other homes in Waimea. No, we were so the we're the only, only one. one. Correct. Yeah. So she goes to a private school there that, you know, somebody else pays for. Um, and if you don't take her, she's going to basically go into this group home and she will forfeit going to this. Yeah. She'll have to go back to school in Kona. Yeah. And she'll forfeit going to this private school. So we're like, 
Well, geez, thanks. That's a lot no of, on our shoulders, right? No pressure. I mean, so, we were teenagers ourselves <laughs> at 35, right? <laughs> yeah, basically we're still teenagers ourselves. Um, so we were like, you know what, we're going to pray about this and we'll give you a call back. Um, so, you know, we prayed about it and we kind of felt like the Lord said, just, just give this a chance. You know, we don't know what that meant, but we called Jane back and we're like, can we meet her? Can we meet her? Can we meet with you guys and just talk to her um, and go from there? Because we said that we didn't, we weren't going to take in any teenagers. Um, We just wanted little kids. Just, I mean, honestly, like looking back on it, that was pretty selfish way of thinking, but we just started this journey and we just didn't know what we could handle. Right. You know? So we ended up meeting with them. They all came to the social worker, Jane, I think Jane was there, and the social worker and this 17-year-old came to our home. We got to talking with all of them. We asked all the questions we needed to, and this girl was just like so intelligent and so sweet and all this stuff. So we were like, um, okay, we'll let you guys know. And we talked about it after, prayed about it, and we felt like the Lord was like, you need to take her. It definitely was God stepping in again. I think when he calls you to do something, he's going to put you in so many uncomfortable places, but he can also use that uncomfortableness for such great things. Yeah. And so, you know, every, every time we get a placement, we always kind of get a little bit of backstory. We never get the full backstory, but we get a little bit. And so with this 17-year-old, you know, we were told some stuff that was concerning, but because we had this information, we're like, well, we can, we're at least we're prepared for things to happen. Right. So we ended up taking her in. And um, a week and a half later, we got another call from Jane. And she's like, um, and at this point, it's going really well with a 17-year-old. Like, yeah. It's going amazing, actually. She's just completely respectful. Um, just a really sweet kid. You know, she's, um, we heard some of her life um, and she had gone through a lot, a lot of hardships. A lot of hardships. And we would continue to find out more as time progressed. And I think she handled a lot of hard stuff all by 17 that most adults wouldn't be able to handle. Yeah, she was, she was, she is a very, very strong young woman for sure. Um, but a week and a half later, we get a call from Jane and she's like, you guys, I have another little baby for you. And we're like, oh my gosh. And she said, but... She comes with a one-year-old and three-year-old brother and sister. And we're like, ah. <laughs> There's nothing um, like going from zero kids to four kids. Four kids, yeah. So we, um, we're we like, you know, we need to pray about it. And we also need to talk to the 17-year-old about it because right. this is her home too now. So we want to make sure that this is something she's okay with. We prayed about it. We felt completely at peace about taking them in. We talked to the 17 year old and she was like, absolutely. Yeah, let's do this. Like she was stoked about it too, you know? So we took these kids in. There was a little bit of a backstory. None of it led us to believe that these would be our kids. Like this was just a placement and we didn't know how long it was going to be, how short it was going to be. It was just a placement and we just had to kind of figure it out from there. So we went to Kona and picked up these three kids And it was heartbreaking. Yeah, they were dirty. They didn't really speak. Um, When you looked into their eyes, it was like they were vacant. They um, couldn't really register or comprehend what you were saying. So the best way that we can describe what they were like was feral. Yeah, they didn't have basic toddler skills. Yeah, anything. 
So, you know, they came with basically nothing. The little girl had a backpack that I remember had like a shirt and a sock in it. Um, so we, we took them to Ross, took them shopping. The little girl, again, I said, they didn't really talk. I think she maybe if, if we were lucky, she knew five words and one of them was no. And one of them was her brother's name, which wasn't even, it was a name that she called him. Yeah. A nickname. Yeah. And the other birthday. was birthday. <laughs> um, but I remember that she, um, just really took charge, um, we went into the store and she would grab stuff and put it in the wagon. And I would say, no, you know, we're not, we're not getting that. And she would say, wah, but scream it. And that was her reaction. Like anytime we told her anything basically. And we were just like, what did we get ourselves into? This is insane. Yeah. It was a completely different type of temperament that we had ever dealt with, with kids. I mean, we have nieces and nephews and it was just so different than what we'd ever seen before. Yeah. So we checked out, went home. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail. You know, obviously it was hard for them, for us. It was hard for everybody. It was a new place for them, new people. Um, you know, to, we couldn't get them to sleep, such and such. It, it was hard. Next morning, um, we always tell this story. So for those of you that know me, you know that I'm like incredibly stubborn. <laughs> and for those that don't know her, her nickname is The Warden. <laughs> I am the warden. Um, I just, I just demand respect and I don't care whose kid you are. <laughs> if you're being disrespectful, um, I'm going to correct you. I'm just really big on respect. And you know, with respect comes, if I tell you something, then you listen, you know, to an extent. Again, this was our, our first time with kids like this. Obviously this is our third time fostering, um, but it was so different from the first time that we did with this little girl, like the most stubborn little girl I've ever met in my life. Um, again, that didn't really speak any of that. So I sat down or I made breakfast for everybody that morning. I was like, I'm going to make some pancakes, something yummy, you know, that everybody will eat. And everybody ate it except for this little girl. Like she tells me, no, she screams in my face. She does the wah thing. So I'm just sitting with her. Everybody's done eating at this point. I'm just sitting with her. I'm like, nope. You need to take at least one bite. We need to try this. You need to have food. You need to take at least one bite. You did have a lot of patience. Um, I guess I did outwardly. Inside, I was screaming inside. (laughs) But um, I was like, no, you know, you're going to eat this food. She kept screaming at me, telling me no, all this stuff. Um, And I was like, take one bite. You know, anyways, really long story short, um, I was there for about two hours sitting with her until she took her first bite and she finally did. And when she did, she loved it and she continued to eat. I think that little girl found out really quickly that Auntie Kenny was way more stubborn than she was. So it was like that for a couple of days. I would have to sit with her and be patient until she ate things and she did and she would love it. This little girl grew to like love vegetables and everything like that. So this just kind of gives you a little insight to how I am as a parent. (laughs) So I'm very, um, and Jigs learned to be as well, just very structured and consistent with kids. So anyways, you know, it was a struggle for sure with these kids, just trying to be patient, which half the time I definitely wasn't, which is why I'm so glad that Jake and I got to do this together because we make such a great team because what I lack in patience, he has. 
So it was just such a good mixture of, I feel like, what these kids needed. Um, and, you know, we had this 17-year-old still, and she was such a huge help. She helped watch them. Um, anytime we needed anything, she was there, you know. She was incredible. Right. And honestly, I don't think that we could have handled things with them as well as we did without her. Yeah. She'd help change diapers. She'd watch them if we need to run to the store. Mm-hmm. All she was doing, her own school, sports, and activities. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely God providing her. Um, He knew that we needed that extra help. So it was, you know, a couple months go by. It was a struggle. At this point, Jake and I were, I think, two years into our marriage. Um, If you all know Jake, you know he's like Mr. Calm, Cool Collective. So we never really fought at this point. Um, But once we got these kids, I felt like we were at each other's throats all the time. Yeah, I think we were tired and overstimulated. We had three small kids at home all the time. I was working from home 100%. You were back and forth from the ranch working at home. And we had these three small kids and hadn't gotten them into any kind of program or preschool. So I think we were just burnt out. Yeah, and we had asked early on, um, because again, State of Hawaii, if you apply for it, like you can get help for daycare and stuff like that for foster kids. So we had asked early on for information about that because we were both working full time, basically, and we needed daycare. We couldn't, we couldn't just have these three little ones, an infant and two toddlers 24-7, especially ones that, you know, had so much trauma. Um, so we needed relief and we weren't getting relief. We were with them 24 seven and it was just like hard. Yeah. It wasn't good for them either. They needed to be in like a structured environment where they were learning age appropriate stuff. Like we couldn't provide the learning that they needed. And at that time, I mean, again, they were so behind with basic speech and mannerisms and everything else. So And we just couldn't give them, during the day, we couldn't give them the time that they needed as well because we were preoccupied with it, you know. So anyways, it it was just hard for all of us, including them, I'm sure. Um, So it came, like, it came to a breaking point when Jake and I were, like, yelling at each other. And we never do that. Even till today, like, we never do that. Mm -mm. You know, so we're like, something has to be done. So we... I remember we were in our room, we sat down, we prayed, and we were like, we need to talk to Jane tomorrow and let her know, like, if you guys aren't going to be helping us with daycare for these kids, we have to give them back. Like, this isn't sustainable for anybody in this house at this point. It was, it was hard. I, I lost my cool more times than I can count. Jake, I mean, you probably lost your cool a couple times. <laughs> it doesn't really happen. Maybe times. one and a half times. Um, but yeah. Um, so we called her the next day. She was like, I'm I'm so sorry. Yes, let's get this done. We ended up getting it done. It was kind of a a harder process, but we got it done. Like the Lord worked it out. We got them into daycare. And shortly after we got them into daycare, it was night and day because we were all able to just take a break from each other. And I think we all just needed that separation. And I know Jake and I just, we just needed a breather. And they were out of daycare, you know, learning different things, setting up all these skills. And we just all needed that. Yeah, but then again, too, they had grown up just with each other, so they didn't really seem to have too many experiences with other kids. Mm -mm, Not at all. 
And so just by having that structure and consistency, they were already starting to grow tremendously. So at this point, you know, things have gotten a little better. Things are going really well with our 17-year-old. And then it came time for prom. And so we said, you know what, let's do something good for her. Maybe like make a fun weekend out of it. We'll go with her, stay at a hotel and just have a really fun weekend with her. You know, she's been so incredible and she just totally deserves something like that. Yeah, we had gone down and with the three kids and her and checked in and we just wanted to have a really fun weekend um, while she celebrated prom and we could lay by the pool and just enjoy that weekend together. Yeah, so it was nighttime the day before her prom when Jake got this like random text from somebody. And again, this isn't our story to tell. So we're just going to do like high level stuff. Basically, this text just showed that we were being lied to by the 17 year old. And we were just blown away. Like we, we thought we we're in this dream. And so we confronted her about it. And she gave us this story about what happened. And I, anybody who knows me know that I'm pretty, I can be pretty naive and I like to see the best in people. So I tend to believe, take people at their word. Um, So Jake and I talked about it after and he's like, I call BS. I don't believe any of it. And I was like, babe, like this is what she told us. We have to give her the benefit of the doubt. We have to believe her. So, I mean, we still end up taking away her phone. um, And we said, you know, we understand that this really wasn't your fault. You were a victim to this, um, but you did lie to us. We're taking away your phone. You can still go to prom tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, but that that is what it is, you know? And so the next morning I remember waking up and I just felt like I needed to really talk to her, dig deep about what had happened. And this, this scenario that she was kind of a victim of, I just wanted the full story and I wanted to let her know that somebody was there for her. So I went outside with her and we talked for a long time and I ended up like crying and I just felt so heartbroken for her and she was crying and tearing up too, you know? And, um, you know, like we made up and I was like, I'm sorry, but you know, we did already tell you that your phone was taken away. This was a punishment. So I can't go back on my word. And she was like, yeah, I totally understand. And so, um, you know, we ended up getting professional, pictures done well it wasn't professional no it was us with her camera oh yeah so she she did photography so we had her camera and we got some like really just really good pictures of her and her prom date with us and the kids it was a really good time um and then she went off to her prom and I remember Jake and I having a conversation and I told him what she told me and I I was like I feel so heartbroken for her and he was like I, I don't know why, but I don't believe any of it. Well, I think, too, a big part of it is that we grew up just so differently. Kenny was very play-by-the-rules type of person. What everybody said went, and you were home by curfew. You didn't party or anything. Oh, yeah. My dad was incredibly strict. So I grew up very sheltered. You know, you follow the rules. I would have never snuck out of the house. I would have never gone to parties or gone anywhere that he didn't know about, you know? I think you were 26 before your first kiss. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Not that far, but close. <laughs> but the way I grew up, I describe it as responsible partier. I was the first to go to every party or crack open a beer, but um, I was always home by curfew and, you know, we always made sure we had a sober person to drive us home, so... 
I knew how teenagers worked. I was there once and kind of used those same tactics of trying to cover it up or hiding it. Yeah, and I had never experienced anything like that before. Um, so Jake's, you know, again, basically like I call BS, but it is, we'll see, we'll see what happens basically. I think she went to prom. Everything was fine for the most part. We had her phone. We ended up going home. Um, again, that night when we got home, we had a talk with her about what we expected from her. Cause the first night she was there, we actually had a talk that, and we said, we trust you until you give us a reason not to trust you. And this kind of was her giving us a reason not to trust her. Um, so you know, she, we had her phone and Jake was like, I'm going to, I'm going to look through her phone. I want to see what's really going on. Cause I don't trust that what she's saying is, is the truth. But one thing to point out is that, you know, we did tell her, Hey, we are going to go through your phone. And we actually gave her the opportunity to delete some stuff. Um, I don't remember exactly what we told her, but we're like, here's your phone. Um, anything that's private, personal, whatever you, you can go ahead and delete it. Like I was still on board with her. The fact that she was, um, telling us the truth. And I don't think we dove into anything super detailed. Um, We just kind of glanced over apps and different stuff just to kind of see what was there and see if there was anything that we needed to know about. Well, I wasn't really on board and it, it wasn't like I didn't want to look into things, dig into things. I think for me, it's like I took her at her word and I didn't want to find out that she was lying to me because for me, that's like one of the ultimate betrayals. Like I trusted you. I took you at your word and you're just going to lie to me to my face, you know? So I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know more. But Jake was like, I'm, well, I'm going to look into it. and I'm going to see. While we would do this even to our own kids. Um, for me, it was, these are somebody else's kids that we've been entrusted to watch over and take care of. So for us, or for me, it was, I wanted to make sure I was doing the best thing I thought possible to try and protect them. And just being responsible and making sure we're not um, looking the other way, you know? Yeah, we've seen foster parents before where they kind of put blinders on and they treat it almost as daycare. Um, they don't really get too involved. And for us, it's always been that these kids, we treat them like they're our own. Um, we don't do anything different that we wouldn't to our own kids. Yeah. So again, not getting into detail, Jake looked through her phone and we found some stuff that we were shocked by and that just kind of proved that what she was telling us was not true. So this kind of start, you know, obviously we confronted her and it was a, it was kind of like a fight, but this just kind of started a roller coaster ride with this 17 year old now, um, things would be amazing. And then we would find out she lied to us about something else and it wouldn't be. So without going into detail, basically I feel like anything you could go through with a teenager, we did. And we just felt so like we were just not equipped to deal with this stuff because without God, we wouldn't have been even with God. I've, I feel like, Oh my gosh, like how are, how are we going to even get through this, you know? Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. And our flesh just screamed for a break. 
and just to walk away. But man, God reminded us that we needed to stick with it and just continue with this girl and to love on her. Um, because so many people in her past had given up on her and just set her to the side. And she had such a hard life growing up and we just weren't going to do that to her. And I remember one day I had picked her up from school and we had an argument about timing and stuff. And I remember she told me that, you know, I didn't ask you guys to love me. And I remember telling her, you're right, you didn't, but you don't get that choice. We love you anyway. And I know that she had her heart hardened probably by people who had lied to her and made her promises that they didn't keep. And throwing her away like she was nothing. Yeah. You know, we can't lie. This was harder than anything we ever could have imagined. Yeah, honestly, we we thought we'd have a hard time with a teenager, but this like was a million times harder than anything we thought we'd have to go through. And, you know, at the beginning of this episode, when I said I had regrets, the way I handled certain, certain situations with the 17-year-old, um, I will, I, I have regrets about it because I, I do wish that I had a lot more grace with her. I, I should have had more grace. You know, whenever something would happen and I would just feel so angry and so disrespected that we would have a fight and I would call her social worker and be like, I'm done. I am done. I can't do this. And I remember being so upset with the social workers too because they didn't give us all the information. (laughs) They gave us some of the information and I felt like if they had given us all the information, we would have been a little bit more equipped to handle certain things. And I think, like you said, you wish you would have had more grace. But it's a perfect example of Jesus showing us grace. Like, you and I don't deserve his grace. No. But yet he always gives us grace, and I think it opened our eyes just how we would handle things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, like, I would get so upset, and I would, you know, lose my cool, and I would call the social worker explaining what she did and just be like, I can't do this. I can't deal with this girl anymore, you know? And saying that, like, we we won't take her or we won't keep her. We're going to give her back, you know. And I knew down deep that I didn't mean that, but I just, I think my flesh just needed to be heard. And obviously, after calming down and praying, you know, we'd call the social worker back and be like, yes, of course, we're going to keep her. But it's like, I so regret just flying off the handle every single time something happened because was it warranted? Absolutely. Like it, what, what she did wasn't okay, but she deserves so much grace because she was a child who had gone through so much hardships and just felt completely unloved. And the way that I was reacting every time she did something wrong, just validated it. But I do want to point out, you know, that anytime something like this happened, I would always go into a room and talk to her and, you know, we would make up and I would always let her know that she is worthy and that I did, we did love her. Yeah. And I remember this one time she told me, you don't know the real me. And I remember it just broke my heart when she said that because I thought we had, she had been with us for so many months now and we had gone through so much good and bad. Yeah. But we learned that we really didn't. Yeah. But I think it was all from her circumstances. It was her protecting herself. Yeah. Well, she had to her whole life. Like she had to really raise herself. She had to protect herself. She had to look out for herself. It was, she, at the end of the day, I know she felt like she didn't have anybody. Yeah. And we were honestly 
trying to show her that we would never give up on her. And the fact that I would fly off the handle every time she did something wrong and basically tell her social worker that we were done with her, it was just like proving her point. Right. You know, and gosh, it it breaks my heart that I contributed to that. Yeah. But through this time, like I said, it was a roller coaster ride, you know. We did have some pretty bad lows, but we also had some really great highs. We were a family. We spent a ton of time together and we really did enjoy each other's company. And I think through this, Brandy and Kaina were such a huge support for us. Huge. They got to know her super well too. And I remember one time before we were heading into church, Brandy and Kaina gathered us around and we just prayed for her. And Brandy and Kaina just poured into her and just reminded her how amazing she was. And that's a regret that I have that we didn't pour into her more often because she was so smart, so intelligent, and just so wonderful. So worthy. So through, how long did we have her? About eight months, I think. It was about eight-ish. Yeah, you know, we've been through a lot, but um, we can both honestly say that we truly did love her and we truly did... um, think of her as our daughter. Also, I think a good thing to point out is that during this time, we still had the three little ones. Um, So I don't think your frustration came solely from her. Um, We just had a lot going on at that time too. Yeah. I mean, things have had gotten a lot better though by this point, you know, a few months in of course, but it, it, it was hard guys. I mean, if you are thinking about fostering, if the Lord's putting that in your heart, be obedient and do it. Um, but I'm not going to lie. It's hard, but it's so incredibly fulfilling. And you are helping children that need it because we learned like through this process, it's, it's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about how hard it is for us. It really isn't like when you're in the moment, you think so selfishly sometimes but when you step back you just remember, this isn't about me. I have to do better. I have to be better. Like this is about these kids who need some stability and just need to feel wanted and loved. I mean, the Bible commands us to do so. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls us to look after widows and orphans, right? Yeah. So, you know, long story short, I want to say it was about like six, seven plus times that we called a social worker and was like, we can't do this because it was like something really honestly, like really life-changing that would happen. And we just didn't feel equipped. Yeah. And it wasn't just my flesh and my anger saying we can't do this. I genuinely felt like we couldn't, like we couldn't move forward after this, this big thing happened. But every time we turned to God and we prayed about it and the Lord was like, I have equipped you. You can do this. You need to do this. She needs you. You need her. Yeah. Like the Lord put her in our life for a reason and our flesh, every single time we wanted to quit, he said, no, you're not quitting. And we were obedient to that. And sometimes, honestly, we regretted that we were obedient to it. But after all is said and done and looking back on it today, man, we still love that girl so much. Yeah. And are so incredibly thankful that we didn't give up on her um, and that she didn't give up on us because it's a two way street. I mean, she could have called her social worker too and said, I, I can't deal with these people. Yeah. 
And I didn't think about that at the time, but you're absolutely right. The children have a say in their life too. Yeah. And if they don't feel comfortable, they can speak up and leave too. Yeah. One thing that I forgot to mention early on is that, you know, the 17 year old started calling us mom and dad Yeah. from early on. She didn't really have a relationship with her mother and her father. And we became those people. And I just remember feeling such joy with that, that she looked at us in that way. And she continued to call us mom and dad, even after we would completely screw up, you know, and to us that just showed her love for us and we reciprocated that love. And I actually, I don't know if um, we ever told her this, but we asked the social worker at one point, like if we would be able to adopt her. Yeah. Um, and we basically were told, and I don't know if this is just for Hawaii or if this is anywhere, like she would have, um, she would have better grants and opportunities available to her if she's not adopted. Right. But we would take on the financial burden, which wasn't a problem, but there are other scholarships and programs that help teenagers that are aging out of the system. Yeah. So that helps them get financial aid to help pay for college. And that was the only reason we chose not to. Yeah, I didn't look into it further. So, you know, that kind of shows where we stood with her. Um, We were wanting to make her our daughter legally. You know, we really did love her. So, you know, when we were going through hard times, I just never really understood why she didn't truly believe that we loved her. I always thought like, you know, 17 year old girl, how do you not understand that we loved you? Like we haven't given up on you. And I remember one time she told me, she's like, no, you haven't, but you keep saying you're, you're gonna. And man, that broke me. I was like, you're right. You're right. I honestly like hope she knows how much I regret that and how much, sorry. (laughs) And how much I love her because I do. But basically like our time with her, kind of ended abruptly and it didn't end well. Yeah. So I think at this point she was with us for about eight months. We actually came to a really good place. I feel like she was heading off to college on a different Island. We had squashed a lot of stuff that had happened at this point and we were just in a really good place. Yeah. We had a lot of deep conversations and I feel like we Um, we're kind of on the same page at this point. You know, there was a lot of crying and apologizing involved. So yeah, our time with her ended abruptly the day she was heading off to college. Some stuff had happened and we ended up writing her a letter. Yeah, we wrote her a letter just, you know, saying sorry for the way things ended, but that we do love her and we want what's best for her. We had no idea if we would even be in contact with her after this point. Right. But we just, we wanted her to know, like, we are still here for you no matter what. Yep. And it was a couple of days later um, that we'd actually gotten a response from her. I don't remember all what it said, but she basically apologized to us for, quote unquote, everything she had put us through um, and said that she appreciated us and cared for us. And um, that letter kind of broke me because I didn't expect at all for her to say any of that. I thought it was literally going to say like, I hate you guys so much. You were horrible and I never want to see you again. Like we honestly believe that that's what it would, it would say. 
yeah, it was just a reminder for us that we had gone through hardships, but God never left us in all of that. Yeah. He never left her in all of that. He knew that it would be a rocky relationship, Yeah, but he knew that we were what each other needed. Oh yeah. God definitely knew that we needed each other for sure. And so we, um, you know, we've kept in touch with her this whole time. Um, she's doing amazing. Actually, she has a beautiful little girl. Yeah. Um, and she is a police officer, which is, man, we're so proud of her and she's succeeding. And you don't hear about kids that age out of the system. Like you don't hear a ton of success stories and she's definitely one of them, but yeah. And she just made the best out of a bad situation. And, um, we can't say enough how much we adore her and how proud we are of her. Yeah. We are just so excited at the woman she's become. And we're just so incredibly proud of who she is. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, but we definitely want to finish discussing our testimony of our fostering journey. So that's going to have to wait till our next episode. Yeah, we are so excited for our next episode as well because we get to unpack a lot more um, and we really get to show you all how God um, truly answered such a, a huge prayer of ours and truly gave us the desire of our heart. Thank you guys again for joining us. It truly does mean so much that y'all um, are tuning in every week. And like we've previously said, if y'all um, have it on your heart to foster and you want some information or you have any questions or anything like that, please reach out to us. We would love to answer any questions you have or point you in the right direction. We'll see you guys next week and God bless. God bless.